0: Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. All right, so Genesis 45 is where we find ourselves in the storyline, but we can't jump in right now, and I don't want the words to be on the screen or in the screen ahead of you, uh, because in order to get into 45, you've got to have some context, and if you know anything about me, I love the Old Testament, there's so much going on, and I didn't start falling in love with it until my early 20s because I never really knew how to make sense of all those stories that people hear about, those grand narratives, those grand tales that are told, and how do you understand what's going on? You hear the stories of Adam and Eve at the beginning. You hear stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You hear stories of David and Goliath or Noah and the flood and beyond, but what? all that doing? How is that all connecting with God's story to his people? So Genesis 45 is such a powerful moment. And again, before we read it together, I got to give a little bit of a background and context because it all has to do with one person. Well, actually, there's a number of people in the storyline, but one focal point person. This is like the main character of the event, if you will. And his name is Joseph. Joseph is the fourth generation that gets mentioned in the book of Genesis where so much of the story resides around. We've got Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons and one of them was Joseph. And when we first meet Joseph, he's born in Genesis 30. So 15 chapters ago, we first get a glimpse of this boy and his mom was Rachel and Jacob really loved this boy really loved this boy. Rachel only had two sons with Jacob. It was Joseph and Benjamin. He loved Joseph, though. Something was different and special. If you are a theater person, if you love to watch a good musical, there's an old-school musical that's been out. It's even made renderings on TV and movies at times. Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's this story. Because it's the same Joseph that gets told in Genesis, and we try to learn things about him, and how is it that he was born into this family, one of 12 boys, but yet his father doted upon him, lavished him with love, loved him amongst all the others, and you can imagine if you were one of the other 11, what would you feel like? What would you, how would you approach your day? And that is the challenge for us as we kind of welcome ourselves into Joseph's story, And Joseph has this moment where his dad gives him this technicolor dream coat that Andrew Lloyd Webber has told us about. But it's this coat of many colors or this robe that's really, really colorful. And he tells his boy, hey, I want you to go find your brothers who are tending the flock. I want you to go check on them. And Joseph has already been guilty of tattling on his brothers. I'm not sure if there's any younger siblings in the house. You know what it means to tattle at times. My older brother always knew that I could tattle on him, and he did not like it. So I got you, Ryan. So the younger siblings know how to tattle well, and so dad's like, hey, go check on the boys and see what they're doing. And so he's like, sure, I'll do it. And we're told that while he was still a long way off, and if you know your scripture, you're like, that sounds a lot like Luke 15 when the boy is coming home. But in this story, while he was still a long way off, his brothers caught sight of him. And one of them goes, there's that dreamer. He's coming this way. Well, the issue is that Joseph had this dream that... He said that there's going to come a day where his family is going to bow down to him. This is the dream that he has. And they're like, you're kidding me. Even his dad was like, are you telling me that even your mother and I are going to bow down to you? And Joseph's like, I I mean, that's the dream that the Lord gave me. I don't know what to do with this. And so when he's approaching his brothers from a distance and they're like, there comes that dreamer boy. They're conniving and scheming to figure out what do we do with this kid? How do we really make him understand one of them's like, let's kill him. And the oldest, Reuben,'s like, mm, maybe we shouldn't kill him. And then Judah, one of the other brothers, is like, you know what? Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. Let's just get rid of him. And then they even take the scheme to the next level. And they see some, some travelers coming by and they sell their brother Joseph into. Basically bondage or indentured servitude. And he's going to head off to Egypt because that's where the servants were going that day or the the travelers were going that day. And they sell their brother. They take him out of the pit that he was in and they give him to these travelers. They take him off. They sold him into slavery, ultimately sold him into the servitude lifestyle. And the brothers now have to figure out, well, how are we going to tell dad that we're not bringing home his favorite boy? And a few of them are probably like, well, who cares? Because at least he's gone. And so they had taken his cloak, you know, the the technicolor dream coat, the coat of many colors, the robe that was really colorful. They grabbed an animal, killed the animal, threw some of the blood on the coat, and then came home with the robe and said to their dad, look what has happened. And you can imagine the dad's face. You can imagine the pain that would have been in that moment for him to realize, oh, my son has been devoured by some wild animal. That's the storyline that we get for Joseph. And he's one of those characters in the book of Genesis that takes up a lot of space. He's got a lot, and there's so much to it. And I hope that you pack your church box to get the story, because in one of the versions that you're going to read, whether it's the adult, youth, the kid, the children, or even the little ones, we tell this story. Because there's something powerful about how God continues to be with Joseph, even though he's been sold and he's going to be heading off to Egypt, and his brothers go back home and be like, he's dead. And their dad, Jacob, already dealing with the death of Joseph's mother, has to deal with the quote, death of his son. At least the pretend story of the version, right? And that's what he's waking up to. But what we get in chapter 45 is a continuation. It's almost like if we were watching a movie, it would be like some years later. And what we don't know, because the brothers don't know this and the dad doesn't know this, that while while Joseph has been in Egypt, he's had a pretty amazing life. Not amazing like it's been all been easy, but God has been with him. And so when he's first sold at, back into Egypt, right? He's been taken by the travelers, they they pawn him off on someone in, in Egypt known as Potiphar, and who was a servant of the king. And Potiphar actually began to put Joseph in charge of his household, and, and Potiphar began to recognize that everything Joseph touched became really profitable or became really good. There was something about Joseph, right? Eventually, though, Potiphar's wife began to notice that there was something good about Joseph, and she wanted it herself. Of great character, knew full well that that's not the storyline and that's not the ending of the story that he wanted. And so he ran away from Potiphar as she wanted a little bit more from him than he was willing to give and she left. He left. And she is left hand she had grabbed onto his robe. Like, does the story sound familiar? Grabbed onto his robe. Potiphar comes home, shows and she shows him this. Like, look what your servant did. And so Potiphar, not willing to listen to Joseph's version of the story, says, You're immediately going to jail. And so they throw him in prison. While in prison, Joseph meets some people, he meets a cupbearer and the baker, and he interprets some dreams. These are people that serve the king. And eventually. Joseph is asked to interpret the dream of the king. And the king of Egypt at the time, Pharaoh, was so impressed with what Joseph had that Pharaoh himself began to say, I need I need, to put you in charge of my kingdom. I need to have you in control because what you do, Joseph, like, like the phrase is, turns to gold. There's something about you, Joseph. But could you imagine being in Joseph's position? All those years of recognizing that your brothers had sold you into servitude. Your father has not gone to find you. And you're now in this country that is not your own. You had to learn a new language and learn a new culture. And you had to figure this one out. Probably, there would be some bitterness that would show up. Bitterness is an interesting thing. And it's not like sour. I remember when I was in 6th and 7th grade, the home that we lived in, was not too far from a convenience store. Do you know these types of places? You go there for a quick candy fix if you're a kid and you love it. I remember specifically this moment that I'm not even sure if my brother went with me, but I went to the store and had this, this, this desire to purchase some candy. And uh, I'm just going to switch to this one. Is that okay with you? All right, here we go. So I'm, I'm at this convenience store and I've purchased some candy, but I know I'm going back home, and I wanna, I wanna kind of pull a fast one on my dad. And when I grabbed the candy from the candy store, I know full well that my dad is not a huge fan of sour candy. Are there any sour candy fans in the house? Do you know what I'm talking about? You love a good pucker, right? You know that moment. You're like, ooh, that's good. Well, I knew my dad is not like that, and he did not like it, but I wanted to kind of trick him. So I got this really, really, really sour ball, and I was like, I'm not even going to tell him what it is. I'm like, look, Dad, we got this candy. You should try it. I remember he popped it in his mouth, and instantly he popped it right back out. He's like, what is that? just the sour moment. I'm not even sure if he remembers the story, but I remember that moment because I laughed so hard that I had tricked my dad. Sour is an interesting thing. There's nothing like sour milk. Those of you who know that moment where you're like, I can't wait for that bowl of cereal or that oatmeal. And then you pour that milk on top and it's either chunky or it smells bad. And you know what sour is like. And so this idea, this concept of Bitter, Right. This bitterness that begins to settle into our souls when things happen to us that we weren't prepared for or perhaps we didn't really we don't really like. And the bitterness begins to sow seeds. And can you imagine put yourself in a Joseph's position where he's been sold into servitude. He's been sold to a new country that he doesn't know has to is forced to grow up without his family and eventually gets to this place of power. And guess what? From a place of power He's able to make some decisions, and this is the moment we get because a couple countries away is where his family is, where his brothers are, where his dad is, and they know that they've got no food. They've got to do something. They're in desperate, desperate measures, and they're like, you know what? We should go to Egypt and see if we can buy food, but guess who's in charge of Joseph. So Joseph, who's in charge of Pharaoh's household, who's in charge of the kingdom, is the one who his brothers and his father will deal with when they come from their land and say, we are desperate. There's going to be a famine. We can't buy food. Can we get it from you? And so Joseph, being the man that he is, has a temptation in his heart to say, I want to be bitter in this moment. I, I could be bitter in this moment because of what has been done to me. And if you're like me, you're like, I know what that feels like. But this is the response that we get in Genesis 45. How about that for a setup? That took enough time. Genesis 45, get your Bibles ready. Here's how it goes. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. That's loud crying. Have you ever been near people that cry that loud? It's awkward and disturbing. This is like worse than the people on the plane with those kids. And have no fear. I have such grace for those people because I had kids on a plane that cried. So I know what it feels like. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Which basically means in the movie version of this, their mouths are open. Their forks are dropping. They don't know what to do at this moment. Is he telling the truth? Is this really Joseph? you got to be kidding me. That's what's going through their head. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And all of them are like, oh, my gosh. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Interesting perspective. When he had the choice to go bitter... He chooses another route. Continuing in verse 8, it says, So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. It's going to get worse. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin. Remember, that's his other brother from his mom, Rachel. That it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my dad about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly." Then he threw his arms around his brother, Benjamin, and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. I'm sure they did. What have you been up to since we sold you? What have you been up to? What has filled your days, Joseph, since we threw you in the pit, sold you, to the travelers, and you got to Egypt. There were so many details of the story that had to be filled in. But the moment of the story, the moment of clarity for Joseph is he could not hold up any longer and keep the pretense that he was in charge of Egypt, and he, he wanted his brothers to know it was him. And The temptation is the same for all of us. Sometimes when we read scripture, you're like, I don't know how I connect to that story at all. I don't know what's going on in that story that makes sense for my life. But this is one of those stories that I think it's really hard to miss it. Because here's the deal. Every single one of us has had the opportunity to choose the lane towards bitterness or the other lane. Have you ever been bitter before? And again, it's more than just sour. Like there's this joke that I have with friends and family that I'm close to that sometimes when someone like, throws a little bitter shade in a moment, I'm like, oh, bitter party of one, your table is waiting, right? Like that moment that we have at a, at a restaurant, we're like, yeah, your table's ready, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, bitter person, your table's ready. Because bitterness is something that so easily creeps in. And I wonder if I were to give you like a, 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 a bitter barometer, right? Like what's your bitterness scale? And I'm even told that there's like this even bitterness scale that some people use for certain types of drinks, And it helps them understand how bitter that drink is going to be. But bitterness is something that we don't mind perhaps tasting in certain foods because you're like, oh, that's an interesting flavor. Or that adds a little profile to this mix I got going on right now. But bitterness is something that is pretty detestable when we encounter it in other people. Have you been around the bitter person who's angry about everything? Who just can't shake it? Have you been in the moment yourself where bitterness has been the option for you or the temptation for you to go down that road? And we hear Joseph's reaction. He's like, hey, hey, remember you sold me into Egypt, but God sent me. right?" There's this option for us to understand that regardless of what's happening to me, I want to be able to see what God's doing in the midst of it. And even Joseph says something that he may not theologically understand the importance of. But he says that God's the one who sent me here. God's the one who got me here. And I would even say there's a temptation for us to believe that God is in the business of bringing calamity on our lives to see what we'll do. As if he's just like, hey, let's throw some bad on them and see what they do with it. But that's not really how God works. When there's evil and unjustness in our world, what is God in the business of doing? He's not standing on the sidelines being like, yay, I can't wait for my people to suffer more God's actually in the business of saying, I want to redeem this moment. I want to redeem the bitter that has taken root inside your soul. I want to change what has happened on the inside for you. This is what God has been in the business of doing with Joseph back in Genesis. It took years for Joseph to get there. It took years in prison. It took years in Potiphar's household. It took years in Pharaoh's household. And then the opportunity comes to him to say, I can can really get back at my brother's. And he could have, but he doesn't. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, I know, this is the good Christian story where you're just telling me, don't be bitter. And part of me is like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. But interestingly enough, this is not for you. This is for me. There have been moments this week that bitterness has crept in. Where I have misread the, the text message and I have gotten so bitter about it. Or there's that person who said something online that I didn't like. And I began to put them into a category in my mind as if they have, they have offended me. And there has been bitterness that crept in. And I have positioned them in a place where, like, I don't want to deal with them anymore. Or I resign them to the next time I see them. Or some of us are like, you know what? I should just get it done right here, right now, Online. I should say what I want to say and have my peace with them. But what's interesting is when I go down the route of bitterness, it actually doesn't bring healing. And the choice before me and for you is, do I want to get bitter? And I know this is going to sound cheesy, or do I want to get better? It's one vowel difference. Do I want to choose the route of bitter, or do I want to be better about this? Because all of us have been around the bitter people, and we know what they sound like, and we know what they what they put off, there's an aura. But it's also us. It's the things that I say, it's the attitude that I have. It's, it's the moments where I'm tempted to say, everyone else is wrong and I'm right. And that's the other temptation of bitter, is we become greedy. We think that it has to be our way or it's not gonna happen. And in my bitterness, as it begins to take root in my soul, I want to have revenge and I want to get back at someone and I want to say something and I want to have the last word. I want the mic drop moment to have. This is what I feel like in traffic. I don't know about you. When traffic happens, I want to stop the freeway and have everyone look at me and I want to say to them, Can you please just use the pedal on the right? That's what I'm tempted to say. Because in the bitterness in myself is like there should be no no reason for this traffic. You got to be kidding me. And traffic is such a base example of what the stuff that creeps into our souls is about. I don't know what's happened to you this week. I don't know where your bitterness meter is. But when we read the story in Genesis, we have a temptation before us to say, "Will I choose the route of bitterness, the option before Joseph, or?" Will I allow myself to see God's hand in this? And I'm not saying that God caused the bad in your life. I am not saying that God causes things like coronavirus. That's not how he works. But he is in the business of redeeming the stuff that happens to us. He's in the business of redeeming the broken relationships that happen in our hearts and our souls with the people that we live with. And there are moments for every single one of us when those have happened. The temptation is like, I'm going to get bitter about this. And it becomes a bitter apple. Bitter apple moment. And you're like, that is never going to taste good. And as quickly as that sour ball went into my dad's mouth and as quickly as he spit it out, that's the kind of response I want to have. When I'm tempted to take the bitter pill or the bitter root and be like, yeah, this is my lot in life. I can't wait to get back at everybody. And Joseph is like, no, 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 no. I want to see what God is doing. And when I choose the route of bitterness, I am single focused. I only see what I'm doing. But when I allow God to give me perspective, that's when I'm able to have my gaze turn up and to perhaps see the landscape around me and recognize that what has happened in my past is not because of the judgment God is pronouncing upon me. It's because of God and his action and his work in my life, because of what he has done in the past is a foreshadowing of what he's in the business of doing. And if I know anything about God and his character, I look at Jesus And when Jesus shows up into places, he is constantly challenging people to turn from their bitter ways and to choose the better way. And so when I choose myself and I choose the bitterness, I'm greedy. But there is one action that I can do that begins to unravel the root of bitter. It's called gratitude. It's no longer just looking at the list of the things that I don't have how things have gone wrong, how that relationship has changed, what that person said. Instead, it's going onto this list over here and recognizing full well that I have a lot, and I'm not being withheld from, that God hasn't been withholding his, his goodness from me. He's actually been blessing me. And I know what some of you are saying, like, there's no chance that God's been blessing me. You have no idea what my story is. And then you're right. I don't know what your story is. I don't know how it feels. But I do know this. There is a God who's in the business of taking all of our stories and redeems them. How do I know this? Because he does it with Joseph. Because he does it with so many Bible characters that you will read when you read the story. The story that continues to stay with us throughout time. This is that moment. This is the bestseller. Not because we just like to buy more Bible books. It's because there's actually some truth that happens when we recognize how God is acting that he is calling us into his kingdom, taking us away from those bitter places and saying, would you look at what I have done, not just at what has happened to you. Look where I'm taking you because you can't wait to see what's going to happen. Joseph had no idea when he was thrown in that cistern. He had no idea when he was sold into Egypt in slavery that eventually one day, one day God would use him to bring about the healing and the provision for his family and his people. And you're like, whoa, just wait till Exodus. I know. But after Exodus comes all the moments where God was good to his people through the prophets and through the judges and through the kings. And you're like, that wasn't perfect. I know. But there was a perfect moment when he sent his son. When Jesus shows up on the scene, it's where the bitterness in my soul begins release. Because I don't want to live there anymore. I don't want to hold my hand so tightly. I don't want to be the bitter person that when I'm hanging out with you, you're like, that tastes bad. I want to live towards the better. I want to live towards God's kingdom. I want to have a concept for life like Joseph. And I want to invite you into that as well. So let's pray. God, thank you for Joseph's life, his story, what you were up to in our own lives. As we consider you and how you are writing our story, I pray that we would have our antenna up that we would have our, the ability to see and to hear what you're doing. For those who it's been one of those weeks where bitterness has been easily sown by what someone did or what someone said or what someone said online or how that person got credit for something and you didn't, Those are the places where we are tempted to believe the lies of the enemy, that it's up to us to fix the situation. God, would we have the capacity to trust you in whatever it is that we face? We want to trust you with our futures and know that you are redeeming them. Help us to see that at work, God. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.